Amen. So yes, people, welcome. Good evening. Welcome to another meeting. It is always a blessing and a pleasure to be here with every single one of us. I am very excited, as, as always, <laughs> for today's conversation. Um, I want to see what God wants to teach us this very evening. And um, it's been an interesting journey. It's been an interesting ride. Ibikunle, the topic of today is the heavens, part two. So this is the second part of um, the subject of the heavens, you know, but it is part of an ongoing series that we have called Tales of the Origin, where we are revisiting the beginning of the Bible, the book of Genesis, to see where everything started from, you know, because if you want to know where the people are in the world today, you have to, first of all, look back to see where they're coming from, you know. Oh, Toyin. Oh, okay. <laughs> you have to look back to see where they're coming from. And when you see where a person comes from, where people come from, it gives you a kind of trajectory, a new and deeper kind of understanding of who they are, you know. And the Bible is no different. That's why the book of Genesis is very, very, very important. We can liken the book of Genesis to a seed, you know. A seed is very small. It's very simple. But yet in its simplicity, it contains the entire data of the plant or the tree that would soon unfold out from it, you know. And the book of Genesis is exactly like this. Everything that will unfold, just look at the Bible like a tree and the book of Genesis like the seed to that tree. In that tiny state, it just looks as though, you know, it might be dissociated from everything that's going on. But actually, when you look very closely, you realize that there's nothing that happened all throughout the course of the Bible that you will not find in the book of Genesis in a potential state. Is that much clear to us? Mm -hmm. Awesome. So this is why it is indispensable to revisit the beginning to have a robust understanding of where we are and where we're going. And as you've noticed, you know, in our study of Genesis, we have gone through different books, Revelation, John, Luke, Isaiah. We've been going all over the place, you know, because as we always say, where you find the beginning is the same place that you find the end. And where you find the end is also where you find the beginning. So it is not possible to read any part of the Bible and not be connected to every part of the Bible because the Bible is just like reality. Everything is connected to everything. And the deeper you get into one particular thing, the deeper you start to get into everything else. You know. So the, the book of Genesis is a basic book, the base of the Bible. And when we talk about a base, oftentimes people look at it as something that is non-consequential. But the truth is quite the contrary. Because that which is the base is what supports everything else that will be built upon it. Without the base, there can't be a building. And that's why you see for, for the military, they say we have the military base. And the military base is where they park all their trucks, their airplanes, they have their ammunition, the soldiers are fed. The base is the center of, of um, gravity, is the center of balance. Once the base is upset, 
the entire structure is upset. So as people, we should never shy away from learning the things that are basic. Because the things that are the lowest are actually the very things that are the highest. Just like the word primary school, you know. From the, in the word primary, you can already see the word prime, which means that which is chief, you know, the prime, um, prime song or prime. Prime talks about something that is supreme. But yet they use that which is supreme to relate with something that is at the foundation. The Rashid, exactly, um, Maria, you know. So right now we're in primary things. And when you hear the word primary, re readjust your mind to just hear the word prime, 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 prime. So when we talk about the primary, we're talking about the thing that is the highest, most important, and the chief. And if the chief is not understood, the body cannot be understood. Amen? Amen? Amen. Awesome, awesome. So we're continuing our conversation on the heavens, you know, and last week was particularly interesting. You know, we, we began to talk about a lot of parallels all throughout the Bible, you know, and we spoke about, for example, well, first and foremost, as we always say, the Bible is written in Hebrew, not English. And for those of us who have listened to the podcast called Can You Read? We spoke about how every particular people in the world that have developed a language, the language, the symbols, the way they communicate are based on their own psychology. And if one wants to understand a new kind of people, one cannot interpret those people with the psychology of their own culture. You have to be ready to forego your own cultural understanding and allow yourself to receive the cultural understanding of a new kind of people if you're going to understand them. And this is a fundamental principle in life. When you meet a person, you want to observe them and see what comes out of them as opposed to projecting your opinions on them and defining them by your own opinions. And unfortunately, the Bible has been a victim of this very basic human trait where we encounter a thing and as opposed to looking at it and trying to understand it for what it is, we project ourselves on it. You know, just like, for example, people just go to a new locality and they say, oh, because I'm the first person here, I am going to name this place um, Jack Johnson Road. Do you know what has happened in that place over the couple of um, Yes. Are you aware of the spiritual atmosphere of that place? Do you know the energetic signature of that place that you would just call it differently? Do you know anything about that place? And that's why in those days, it was only people who had wisdom that gave name to things. Right now, the Holy Spirit just blew into my mind the book of Genesis. And when Adam gave names to the different creatures, it takes profound wisdom to give a name onto something. Wisdom in the sense where you are able to look at a thing for what it is and give it a name according to what comes out of it. For example, all of us have heard of the word mumu, Abi. <laughs> I'm sorry we've all heard that word mumu, right? Huh? And 
the name Mumu is actually a very intelligent name, if you ask me. It tells you more of that creature than the word cow. Because when you hear cow, it doesn't tell you anything, you know? But when you hear moo, moo, at least that's the sound that the cow makes, isn't it? So that name that was given to it, in a sense, tells you about that creature that is being spoken about. Do we understand what I'm saying? Huh? Wait, I don't understand. How did you come to relate mumu to cows? That's what, Other when they say person is a, a mumu, they're actually calling them a cow. Really? That's where they got the name. Yeah, I did not wow. know that. Whoa. Really? Are you not in Nigeria? I did not know that. <laughs> oh my God. Wow. I'm surprised. <laughs> yeah. And I always yeah. used to call my best friend a cow. <laughs> yeah. But she Mumu. but she accepted it because apparently her name is Rebecca and Rebecca means cow. That was what she said. <laughs> Lol. Well, fair enough. <laughs> Yeah, mumu literally means cows. When you call a person a mumu, look at cows and they just they just go left, they go right. If you just beat them stick, they turn like this, they turn like that. So that is why they call people mumu. But the word mumu or mumu comes from how the cow sounds. So if you ask me, whoever gave it that name is very intelligent because at least it is a name that pertains to the character of that person. Does that make sense? You know, for example, now, someone enters your house and what comes out of them is the nature of theft. They come and steal your mint in your pot. They come and steal your shirt. They come and steal your shoe. What name would you call them? I'm asking. Huh? What name would you call them? Somebody that comes to steal in my house. Only. <laughs> yeah, yeah, only thief. You call him a thief, you know, because... That's what has come out of him. The nature that has come out of him is what you used to label him. And that is wisdom. You know, if someone tells the truth, oh my God, such an honest person. If someone is ugly in their character, oh my God, your character is not pretty, you know. Wisdom is the ability to perceive a thing for exactly what it is and label it according to what it is. When you see someone as a thief and you say this person is honest, that means that you are not perceptive. That means that you can't see. So the Hebrew culture for one, and if you study, guys, let's not get too caught up in the chat so that we don't lose um, focus. The Hebrew culture for one, when you study the Bible, you realize that before they give anything a name, they first of all look at the thing. Spiritually, they might look into the destiny of a particular child. And based on what they see in the destiny, they give it a name that corresponds to what that child already is. It's not something new. They give it a name that corresponds to what it already is. And the character that unfolds from the person is why they receive the name that one calls them. For example, the word Yahshua means salvation. And of course, because the characteristic of that being is saving a person out of bondage, bringing them out of darkness, you know. Look at the name Noah, or what we call Noah. It means comfort. And literally, that's what he came to bring to the world. He came to bring comfort. So his name was given to him as a result of what was observed about him. It was wisdom. 
So the Hebrew word shamayim, translated as heavens, like I wrote in the study guide, like I wrote in the study guide. Wow, Onyechi, that's an interesting question. <laughs> that might take us a bit of tangent, but um, should we go there? Just a three minutes, four minutes? No, no, I'll ask, I'll ask later. Don't worry. Okay, okay, Sorry. okay. So that's as we wrote in the study guide. The Hebrew word, shamayim, translated as heavens. When you break it down literally, it is a juxtaposition of two words. The first word being shamay, the second word being mayim. Shamay means sky or lofty, that which is above. And mayim means waters. So literally shamayim means the waters above. What made the people of those times look at the lofty dimensions of God and liken it onto water that falls upon them? Already physically speaking, from the sky above, water falls on the ground. And those days when we did not have artificial, um, well, I say irrigation systems, we depended on the rainfall for our crops to grow, you know? If the rain doesn't fall from the sky, there will not be food. Everyone will be hungry. Everyone will die. But now with this age, we're able to manipulate it. I mean, for example, like in Dubai, for example, they can so much manipulate their clouds that they begin to shoot hydrogen bombs into their atmosphere to make rain fall in summertime when there's not supposed to be rain in a desert. You know, people have learned how to manipulate their environment and all manners of things, you know. So in those days, you could not have food if rain doesn't fall, they were completely dependent on their natural environment and how it was designed to keep their life sustaining. So, like I said, whenever a wise person wants to give a name to something, it has to be a name that corresponds to what that thing already is. So they looked at their relationship with God. And of course, they know that God exists in a higher dimension than they, even though he also exists on the same dimension as we are, but there are levels and levels to God, you know? And how they receive nourishment and sustenance from the one who created them. And how they themselves, even though they are physical human beings, they understand that because everything is connected to everything, I, even though I'm a human being, I am also a soil. I am also a land. And when I am not nourished from the heavens, when I am not blessed by the rainfall of the Holy Spirit, my land ceases to be fertile. You see, that's why God told the, 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 um, Adam and Eve, be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth. When we look at this on a very fundamental level, we think that fruitfulness is about, is about um multiplying into physical bodies and things like that. It's part of it, but that is the very least of what that fruitfulness speaks about. I mean, on a very basic level, who can tell me what it means to be fruitful and multiply? Who can tell me? To be profitable. What does it mean to be profitable? Uh, to expand, produce. You are still yeah. speaking English. What does it mean to expand? <laughs> to increase. 
Okay. What did Paul say is the fruits of the spirit? Oh, um, love and joy and you know, long suffering and all of that. You see? Now, do you understand when Jesus Christ said, any tree that does not bring forth fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire? Do you understand that analogy now? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Huh? Yeah. Because you yourself are the soil, you're also the tree. It's even there very clear and plainly in that parable of the sower when Jesus Christ was interpreting it. And he said, the soil is all the earth, but of course, all the earth still represents you as a person, you know. And that seed is the word of God, it's Christ, it's the spirit, you know. And it needs, that seed is in every single one, but it cannot grow, it cannot unfold, it cannot expand without the rain of Shamayim. Do you understand? Without the rain of heaven, that light of God, the counsel, his voice, that seed that is planted inside of us cannot grow. And when it does not grow, we can't bring forth that seed, that fruit, to replenish the earth. If you remember the very last thing Jesus Christ gave to his disciples, what was the command? Oh, what was the Great Commission? Let me speak in more theological terms. What was the Great Commission? Go into the world and make disciples. Do you see how it's the same thing as be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth? Are you seeing it? Yes. Are we able to see that? Because when we talk about making a disciple, it means to create out of someone, bring out of someone that very same nature, essence, character of God. That's what it means to be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth. It's the same thing Jesus Christ said. God gave Adam that command in Genesis chapter 1. God gave Noah the same command after the flood. You see the same thing again with Jesus Christ. Because Jesus Christ literally came for just like Noah, just like um, Adam, a new kind of beginning. And he gave the same instruction. I'm just trying to show us how there's a narrative that has been going on all throughout the Bible that hasn't necessarily changed. And all of this is concealed in the word Shamayim. And this is why that word is very profound, very deep. There's still a lot of more layers to it when you actually go into the very letters that make up the word, but that'll be another day's discussion, you know. It speaks of the lofty abode of God, you know, from where we receive nourishment and sustenance. And as we spoke about last week and also in the study guide, the word Shemayim is a plural word. And it speaks of multiple places from which the rain comes down. One being higher than the other. You know, I'll write it for you in the chat. Shamayim. Be sure to check out the um, study guide, Ifi. There's a lot of things there that um, gives uh, a lot of scriptures. It was a lot of things that were very much explained. So make sure you check out the study guide. So, like we spoke about, A heaven speaks of a dimension of God, a realm of God, a level of realization of God. I find it good to say in this moment that 
first of all, God permeates everything. From God's perspective, there is no heaven, there is no hell. There's, from his perspective, everything just is because he is. But when we talk about the heavens, the heavens is not in respect to God. The heavens is in respect to us. Remember, Genesis chapter 1 verse 1 states, in the beginning or in beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That first verse allows us to know that God existed prior to the heavens and the earth. So yes, God is in the heavens because God fills everything in creation. But God is also beyond the heavens. He's above the heavens. The heavens speak about the degrees to which we are able to perceive God. Because God is already everywhere. But a heaven can be defined as a degree of perception that we have attained. Does that make sense to us? Huh? Yes. When we talk about a heaven, a heaven speaks about a degree of God that we have been able to perceive. In the Bible, we see that it is written that it is, it is to the glory of God to conceal a thing, to hide a thing. And it is the honor of kings to search it out. You know, that is, to, that is true on one hand, that God conceals things. But on the other hand, God doesn't conceal anything. The problem is that we're not able to see. Does that make sense? Because everything that is, is already present. It's just a matter of what we're able to perceive per time. Do we understand that? Yeah. I was talking with a brother this morning, and I was talking about how you and I can be here, right? We're going to read a newspaper, you know, and as we're reading it, we just maybe read, oh, some company, this happened to this company, this happened to that company. We don't see anything. We don't see news and gist, and we go on our way. But if Bill Gates reads that same newspaper, it is possible that he will see one thing that will make him $500 million tomorrow. True or false? True or false? Yeah. True. You know? It wasn't hidden. It was just... It, the truth he saw was the same thing you saw, but it's just that you were unable to perceive it as he perceived it because it was just there, you know? Just like some of us can enter into a room, you know? You know? And... Two people are talking... Because of your experience in the past, you can say, oh, 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 this particular lady or this particular gentleman is a bit uncomfortable by what this person is saying. But the person that is talking might not be able to perceive it. You might say it's hidden, but it's not. It's just that one is not able to perceive it. Does that make sense to us? Yes. You know. Yeah. So the heavens are just like this. It is not hidden from anyone. God is not hiding anything. Everything is, uh, is there. But it's just a matter of, are you able to see? And that's why Jesus Christ came and talked about how he came to open the eyes of the blind and open the ears of the deaf. Because God is communicating in every way and every form. 
and God is revealing in every way and every form. But like life is dual, it is not only about what a person projects to us, it is also our capacity to receive it. There was a scientist about 100 years ago called Nikola Tesla who began to develop certain devices that he believed was able to allow him to intercept transmissions from other planets. It's true. Every planet has its own unique vibration and energy signature that it sends off. And if you are able to receive it with the right apparatus, you can learn one or two things about the planet. You know, everything in nature, in creation, vibrates at a particular frequency and communicates a particular message. But if you're not able to hear it, if you're not able to see it, it doesn't matter what the thing is communicating, it will be useless to you, you know? It's like taking a mobile phone to one of those people in the Amazon forest who are, st who are still living as savage tribes. They can't understand it. And the phone is right there. They, you're showing them, say, take. They can't understand it because they're not able to see what it is, even though it's right there in front of them. You give it to them, they'll think it's a stone and they'll throw it to try and hurt something. The heavens are just like this. The realms of God are just like this. It is very available. It is very present. It is not hidden from anyone. It is present here now. It's just a matter of one's ability to lift up their eyes. That's why when we study the scripture a lot, and I want us to actually make this a research, right? Some of us write this down. I want us to research in the Bible the different places where it was written and he lifted up his eyes. I want us to go and study different scriptures that relate to that. You will see that the moment they write and this person lifted up his eyes, a transcendental experience will come next. I'll give us some examples. When Abraham was by the tent, it was written when he lifted up his eyes, he saw three men coming to him. And when those three men coming, when those three men came to him, he didn't say, my lords. He said, my lord. Singular. Revelation. That was something he came to see in the spirit. We read it and we think we're talking about Abraham having physical people come to his house. That's not what that story was talking about because it was written. And he lifted up his eyes. Another time when Abraham was on the mountain, Right after Lot departed from him, it was written, and Abraham lifted up his eyes and he beheld the promised land. The promised land was always there. When we read that story, that's why I love the Apostle Paul so much because he began to open the eyes of the people in that time to the spiritual aspects of a lot of those old and fleshly stories to let them know that all those physical things had a spiritual aspect to them that contained the truth, which makes it possible for our lives to be transformed here and now. And when we read about the Israelites journeying into the promised land, even though physically they might have migrated from place to place, but the promised land is not a physical place, but a spiritual attainment, a spiritual um a spiritual residency, a spiritual awareness. Do we understand that? Before I go forward, do we have any thoughts, comments, questions on all that has been said? Anyone? 
thoughts, comments, questions on all that has been said. Finney, are you trying to speak? Finney, I can't hear you. Hear me. I can hear you now. Finney, I can't hear you. I think your sound is not good at the moment. Finney. Okay. I, I don't know, maybe if you could write it on the group chat, um, on the chat box here. I can't hear you, Finney. Okay. Anyone else? Thoughts, comments, questions before we go forward? Okay, so, so that means that so far so good, we've understood what has been said, right? Yes. Yeah? Okay. Okay. So, like said, heaven is already present right now. Heaven is already here now in reality, you know. Is a matter of one becoming conscious of it. Is a matter of one becoming aware of it. When Paul spoke to the people in, in I think the the is it Romans or Ephesians, that he said, "Now are we seated on high at the right side of God." But when he was saying that, were they not all physically on earth? I'm asking. They were. Huh? They were. So what did he mean by saying, now are we seated? What did he mean by, because physically speaking, they were all on physical earth. So what did he mean by now are we seated there? What was he trying to say? Who is able to elaborate on that? I think it meant their minds yeah. had like attained this, that degree. Yes, absolutely. Their minds attained that degree, their consciousness attained that degree. They, even though they were physically present here, spiritually, they were acting out from that realm and presence of God, you know. And in the Bible, for those of us who may not have known, this is what it means when they say the angels are always worshipping before the throne. Many of us growing up have been taught that this means that there are people out there who are always singing in front of God, this narcissistic old man who is so so has so much of a low self-esteem that if people don't sing highly, 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 that he cannot feel good about himself. I mean, come on, this cannot be what, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like that idea is not, it's preposterous. You know, let's just be very, you know, and these are the different things that we have to revisit, you know? And of course, those kind of narratives will sell a lot because men are very narcissistic. So when they can convince you that this is how God should be treated, and then they associate themselves with God, then you would treat them the exact same way. You get the point? You get the point? So that's why they sold all those narratives. And even all these things of condemnation and God will cast you out forever and all these broken ideologies of God who always has an intention of healing a person is because they do not have the heart in themselves to actually seek the well-being of someone who is destroying them. 
So it was so much easier to sell a narrative of a God who will abandon someone somewhere forever and this like that, because they themselves cannot for their life imagine that this person who did this to them can ever be forgiven. But it's important to say that forgiveness is inclusive of the process that you must go through to remove from yourself the very things that made you sin in the first place. Do we get that? Do we get that? No, please, can you come again? I'll say no, it again. No, no, I, want, no. I want us to listen very carefully. The forgiveness of God is inclusive of the process that we will go through that will enable us to be rid of the things that made us sin in the first place. Did we get that? Yeah. Uh So when we say God has forgiven you, don't think he's not going to put you through the process of rehabilitation. It is a lie. You will go through that rehabilitative process. Do you understand? Forgiveness is inclusive of rehabilitation. And rehabilitation is a good thing. But because our minds are attached to bad things, the rehabilitative process of God will look like hell. Go to any rehabilitation center, you see people there are dying. Am I lying? Is it a lie? Yeah, but I left. They are, they are dying. Even though life is coming to them, but in their experience, this is the worst thing that can happen. Get my point? Yeah. Huh? It looks to their, to their understanding, to their perception, it looks like everything has crumbled. Oh God, why is this? What's happening? Why are they telling me like this? Oh, why can't I have my phone? My family? Oh, why am I? It looks like hell. And it looks like a lot of suffering. But the suffering is only born as a result of them being attached to the wrong thing. When a person is attached to something that is wrong, the deliverance of God would look like God is destroying your life. Do we understand that? And this is something that has to be preached very well in this time so that we can understand the ways of God. Because when we talk about forgiveness, we think, oh, just like that, the person just goes away. It's not, God is not retributive. It's not about retribution. God is after your well-being, your wholeness, and your completion. And he cannot just leave you broken, rotting, because it's not even good for you as a person. He has to, with love, clean you. It is written that the Father chastises everyone who comes unto him. He disciplines the one that he loves. He disciplines the one that he loves. So in the forgiveness of God, you will go through that process that will enable you to have dominion over that thing that made you to fall in the first place. No one can escape it. You might escape it with man, but man is foolish. Man thinks he's doing you a favor by not rehabilitating you, but God is not a fool. He wants to make you the best version of yourself. He wants to make you whole. He wants to make you complete. So if you've been a thief, God will forgive you, but you must believe that God will put you in a certain circumstance, that you will find yourself in a kind of lack 
that will tempt you to steal like yesterday. And in that place, you must remain faithful. And if you don't, you will find yourself back in square one. I'm just telling you how to pray. There are many ways it can look like. I'm telling you the truth. And I'm also speaking from my own experience in life. Not that I'm anywhere, but at least from what I was, I knew the different things that had to happen for my mind to be recalibrated. You know? And that's just the process of God. Because he loves us. And if he truly loves us, he wants to make us into people that are functional, that are whole. So it's not enough to remove you from a place that you were. He also has to remove that place that you were from you. So this is God's forgiveness. It's holistic. It's rehabilitative. It's reconstructive. It's renovative. You know. But people like to talk about this. Because the moment someone hurts me, instead of me to think about how can I make this person, because for them to hurt me, it means that they are broken, they are destroyed in, in, in some way. Only, from, only a person who has destruction in them, who is destroyed on the inside, will seek to destroy someone on the outside. True or false? Very true. You know? And who knows what led to that? God sees the broken person in everyone who breaks people and is able to do what it takes to bring them out from that place of brokenness to a place of wholeness. Now, in the process of doing so, doesn't mean that one becomes ignorant of the fact that this person is dangerous. Because if I know that you're a thief, I'm going to lock my bedroom. I love you, but I'll lock my bedroom because I'm protecting myself from you and I'm also protecting you from temptation. Do we get that point? Do you understand that? Yes. Aha. Uh-huh. So I'm rehabilitating a thief. I'm going to lock my bedroom door, you know, to save you from being tempted to steal and also to save my property from being lost, which cannot tempt me to anger and make me forget God and do it. <laughs> you understand? So it's in everyone's best interest that you also find a way to protect yourself from the vices of others. But protecting yourself from the vices of others does not mean completely discommunicating from them. But anyway, there are different, um, it's not a one-way one street. There are many ways one can approach this and all that and everything. But nonetheless, man always like to interpret God from you know, their own kind of standpoint. And a lot of doctrines that were preached, that were built upon, are based on their own narcissism and their own need for vengeance and retribution. It's, and they sold it as truth. Just like in the day of Jesus Christ. The people, the Pharisees, who wanted prestige and they, their pride loved to be honored and everything, they began to create all kind of laws. For example, you talked about how, how can a person have parents and all their money is going to, to the Pharisees and the parents are sick at home. What kind of, then what's the point of the law if you cannot even love the very people who raised you? You know what I'm saying? You know, many things were warped and sold as truth because people were benefiting directly from it. And we are experiencing that same reality in the world today. So in this time, along these courses that we're going through, we're going through a deconstruction. But I want us to understand because we're in a time where there are a lot of people who are calling themselves deconstructionists. And when I look at them, in truth, they are deconstructionists. 
right? And in their deconstructing, they have no skill whatsoever of building back what they have turned down. Such people are even worse than the ones who even built a broken system. Do you get what I'm saying? Because if all you know how to do is tear down. So now you know you're a deconstructionist. You come and tear down something that has been around for 1,000 years and you leave people, leave people stranded. Something even worse than what they were will happen. You know, and I meet some people like that. Oh, yeah, you know, deconstructionist Christianity. They, okay, so what are you building in the place? They don't have it. And it's something we need to watch out for. You know. So in this time, we're not only deconstructing things, we're also constructing as well. It's a dual thing. And it came to me as a vision a few months ago because I realized that a lot of things I was teaching myself were too deconstructionist. And God showed me a vision in one of my meditations, right? I was on a horse. And in my left hand, there was a sword. And as the sword was scratching the ground, it was breaking the flood. There was fire. Everything was burning. And on the right, I saw my hand moving on the ground. And I saw flowers rise. Ah, I said, I understand. I'm sorry. Thank you for giving me caution. You know, and that meditation gave me beautiful clarity. And that's when I now started making sure that there was a consistent balance in everything that is taught. I make sure I teach the left, I teach the right, and make sure it's holistic so people are not left hanging, you know? So if you deconstruct where a person was, you have to reconstruct where they ought to go to. Moses didn't just remove them from Egypt. He led them to the promised land. This is how it must be, you know? So when we talk about angels in the presence of God, saying, holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. It speaks about a people who are in perpetual awareness of God, who are always in his presence, always before the throne. To always be, to always be before the throne of God is to always acknowledge him as Lord in your life. And Jesus the Christ did say, why do you call me Lord, 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 and not do what I say? The acknowledgement of the Lordship of Jesus Christ in one's life is validated by us being obedient to his word. If there is no doing of what the Christ has said, there is no Lordship of Christ in a person's life. And this is something that needs to be stamped in our minds. If there is no doing of what he said, then Jesus Christ is not Lord in our lives. And this is what Paul was teaching when he said, test all spirits. Any spirit that does not confess that Jesus Christ is Lord is not of the kingdom. Of course, anybody can come and say Jesus is Lord with the lips. This doesn't mean anything. So some people will go and meet the demon and say, say Jesus is Lord. The demon too will deceive them. And <laughs> oh my God, you know, all kinds of things have been going on, you know. <laughs> look let me tell you guys something you know a demon can say jesus is lord with the lips but what the demon cannot do is testify with his life the lordship of jesus and that is the doing of the word that a demon can do and that is how you know whether something whether jesus is lord in a person's life because when we talk about the confession it's not just about the mouth anybody can say anything with the mouth James did say in James chapter 
two, that even the demons believe that there's God and they tremble. But do you know, oh foolish man, that faith without works is dead? Do you understand? If you hear, but you don't do, your hearing is of no consequence because the hearing is validated in the doing. You know. So when we talk about a person testifying that Jesus Christ is Lord, it's not about the lips. It's about the fruit that comes out of you. You know. That's why Jesus Christ said, by the fruit you shall know them. By what comes out of them, you shall know what they are. When they lie, you can see this is what they are. That's why with Peter, for example, by what came out of him, he said, oh my, flesh and blood didn't reveal this unto you, except my father in heaven. And at that time, by what came out of Peter again, he said, get thee behind me, Satan. The same person. Because he was judging them, labeling them, defining them by what unfolded out of their person. Do you know? And this is what all the scriptures are teaching in a very basic sense. To be eternally in front of the throne of God is to allow his authority, his will, his directive to flow out of us that we might be books of life, that when a person reads the pages of our behaviors, our characters, our doings, Christ is already being preached to them. Without just saying a word, just by observing you, Christ is being preached. And the, the contrary is also true. Some people, you don't just look at their life, you have met the devil in the most perfect form. You have seen hell just by being in their presence. Hell has come to you. It's reality. Because every single one of us are books. And what comes out of us is a testament of what we are. You know. So when Paul was talking about seated in heavenly places, it's about one state of mind, one state of consciousness, one's awareness to be perpetually in that place of God. That is why he said, let this mind be you. And he defined the mind that was also in Christ Jesus who did not consider equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he made himself of no reputation and put on sinful flesh. Let that same mind be in you. We're talking about a mindset. We're talking about a state of consciousness. We're talking about a kind of awareness. You know. And it happens this way, in layers, in layers, in degrees, in degrees, and degrees. Before I go forward, again, do we have any thoughts, comments, questions, and all that? As we said, Katia, I know your hand has been raised, so you are first in line. Would you like to speak? Okay. Um, so, I, okay, thank you for what you just shared. Hmm. Um, recently. We're going to be talking about the angels and how it's not literal, the it's not just angels that are flying in heaven and shouting holy in front of the presence of God, but then we um but you're referring to to those that are in the presence of God actually that that um that are in the presence of God doing what doing what holy actually is. 
Um, and I remember when I was studying Hebrew just recently, I, in Hebrew 1.7, it said, in Hebrew 1.7, it said, okay, let me just read some paraphrase. It said, of the angels, he said, he makes his angels winds and his ministers flames of fire, a flame of fire rather. And then in verse 14, he said, and are they not, minist- not ministering spirits sent out to, to serve for the sake of those who are acquired to inherit salvation? And then in chapter 3, verse 5, it said, um, it said, Moses, now Moses was faithful um, in the administration of all God's house as a ministry servant. So I got confused um, if it was referring to like the angels that we have in mind or if it's actually referring to us, um, referring to us this day. So I've been asking questions, a lot of people, but nobody's like giving me, nobody's responding. So at some point I felt I was actually thinking heresy to think that that scripture was talking about us. Um, to, to think that the scripture was talking about like angels, but I, I felt it was more than the angels I had in mind actually, especially with the emphasis on Moses and how Moses was a ministering servant. So what you just thought now has shown more light to the confusion I've had for weeks. Thank you very much. Well, glory be to God in the highest because that is a very fantastic and very relevant question. You know, indeed. When we talk about an angel, like I said, it is important that we revisit the language in which the Bible was written to understand the concepts and the context of that which is being communicated to us. In Hebrew, the word for angel is melech. Melech literally means servant, messenger, ambassador, delegate. It also means king. In Hebrew, the word for angel is the same word for king. If you check your Bible and you check the Hebrew names for the, for the books of the Bible, you see that first and second kings are called Malachim. Malachim, the book of the angels, the book of the kings. So literally, when you read first kings, second kings, you actually read about angels. Both angels that are risen, both angels that are falling, but that's a different topic. We'll talk about that later. Yeah. An ambassador is one that is sent as a representative of someone else. An ambassador is one that appears to reveal someone else. Anyone who comes in the name of the Lord is an ambassador of God, is a delegate of God, is an angel of God. But in regards to angels, there are degrees and degrees and there are layers and layers. It was written in the book of Exodus chapter 3. That an angel of the Lord called unto Moses from the burning bush. But yet it was also written that that angel called itself. I am that I am. And it also called himself the same Jehovah that Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob worshipped. Have you understand what I'm saying? You know. So who Moses was talking to was an angel. But yet that angel was what was also called God. Like I said, there are degrees and degrees and there are layers and layers. That one that Moses met, when we talk about an angel, 
you are able to express God according to the capacity of God that you are able to contain. And let me say, there are different levels of containers. You know, Stephen is a kind of container. Paul is a kind of container. Mary Magdalene is a kind of container. I am a kind of container. If he's a kind of container, everyone is able to unveil God according to the capacity of God that they can contain. And according to the amount of God that they're able to perceive. So when we talk about an angel, in the most profound and complete sense, we're talking about a dimension of God itself. Because anyone who comes in the name of the Lord, they also come with a dimension of God that they have tapped into. Do you understand that? Huh? When an apostle, a prophet, a preacher, a teacher is sent to a particular people, his job, his role, his mission is to introduce them to that dimension of God that he has attained, he has experienced. It is his mission to introduce them to God, introduce them to the heaven of God that he or she has touched. It is his role to bring them into that next, next level. And that's why you have different people in the Bible all coming with a unique kind of message. You know, That's why we see it was written that Jesus Christ has a name above every other name on a very basic sense. When we're talking about a name, we're also talking about a heaven. A name speaks of a dimension in God. A name speaks of a class in God. A name speaks of an attainment in God. And there are indeed many names. This is something that is indisputable. Of course, Moses is a name. No one can deny this. Enoch is 100% a name. Methuselah, of course, is a name. Even Adam is a name. Elijah is a name. Elisha is a name. David is a name. Joshua, of course, is also a name. You know. Aaron is a name. And they all speak of different levels of attainment of God, different degrees of awareness. And Jesus of Galilee was said to have superseded them all. But don't for one second think that what those people touched is insignificant. Who, how many of the people who are heads of churches today can say they have reached the name of Moses? How many? I have not seen with my physical eyes. Well, publicly, there's always going to be the internal secret aspects of things. But in public ministries, anyway, also you can't see it on the, on the outside, you, but, you know, if I'm just going to go by what eyes can see, can you show me one person on, on, the, on the mainstream platform who is on the level of Moses or Elijah? He's, he's, so what are we talking about? You know, so when we talk about God, there are degrees. Let us open the Bible. Let us open the Bible to Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3. Actually, I'm just going to copy it and I'm going to paste it right here for us to see. I will read it and we'll understand a little bit of what I am trying to explain. You know, one second. Let me just copy it right now. Philippians chapter 3, verse 12 to 16. Let me paste it right here. Okay. 
I got it. You're right, uh, Miriam, I came fired up. <laughs> okay, so this is the scripture. Ah, I shall put space, it's a bit choked up. Okay, let me write another one that is a bit more legible so that we can read it properly. And I, an advice to us, when we are posting, um, when we are posting a long um, write-up, for the sake of legibility, I would advise that we break it into paragraphs so that it's easy to read. Because when you just post the whole write-up of, and it's just, oh, I can't even do that on, 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 uh, on, uh, on Zoom. But in case on a group chat, if I write in a script or something, after every seven, eight lines, let us try to make a kind of paragraph so that it's easy to read, you know? Just an advice for us, you know, going forward. So yes, let us read. So this is the Apostle Paul. This is the Apostle Paul talking to the Philippian church, you know? And he said, not that I have already attained or I'm already perfect. This is the Apostle Paul, right? We're speaking of the one who came to initiate the entire Mesopotamia and the Western world to the mysteries of God. This is the same man, right? That we all look up to and raise up high. He said, not that I have already attained or I'm already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold for that which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. He's saying that, he's, that there is a reason why Christ laid hold of him and he has not yet attained that reason. He's still in the process of getting to that point. So he's still telling you, I am still on that journey. I am not there. Christ called me to attain a particular ideal. And even though I, Paul the apostle, am so this and that, I will tell you in Holy Spirit sincerity that I have not yet attained the ideal that Christ called me for. This is the apostle Paul now. Let's continue. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended. But one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead. You see what he's talking about? He's telling you, I have attained some certain things. I have really acquired some experiences, some dimensions, some understanding in God. But I am leaving all those things I have learned at the back. Because if I hold on to what I've seen, my experience of this and that, I will make a throne there. I will build a tent there. And this will make me unable to press forward into the more that exists in God. This is the Apostle Paul. Now, this is not just his normal person. This is Apostle Paul, who we all know is more than us. He's saying that even in all that he has attained, he's ignoring everything. Pushing forward to that which is in God that is beyond where he is. But let us continue. Therefore, let us, as many as are mature, have this mind. And if in anything you think other, <laughs> I love Paul. He said, if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal this to even you. Do you understand? If you think otherwise, that oh, I don't reach somewhere, and maybe this, that. Have you seen the vision I had last week? Uh, do you know that I had five angels appear in my room and drink tea with me and give me donuts? Do you? There are many people like that. And they stand on the pulpit and they speak as though that they are the pinnacle of that which there is in God. But Paul said, 
if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal even this to you. Anyone who thinks that what they know is everything does not know anything at all. And that is the first thing one realizes when they begin to learn about God. If you approach, if you approach the path of the light, the path of God, for the sake of knowledge and superiority and things like that, your pride will be broken to pieces because the more you begin to realize, the more you begin to realize that you don't know. And that's why many people, when they start to come to know God and start to see a lot of things, their pride is so wounded. And that's why they run away and say, ah, this is too much. And I've seen many people like that. You meet them. Their mouth is so quick in the beginning. They are talking. When they start to now see things, you see, they become very humble. So humble that they can no longer have any zeal to move forward. And I laugh. And I know them when I see them. I've met men like that. Their mouth is so quick. They're always so quick to talk. I just look. I said, time will, time will tell. Um, eight times out of ten, such people, once the door opens and they see, they take off. They would rather stay in their local champion place than to acknowledge the fact that even though I am a champion in Lagos, if I enter UK, I'm a pauper. Do you understand what I'm saying? Do you get what I'm saying? Yes. Sir. I posted a photograph on my Instagram story a few days ago of The Rock standing beside Kevin Hart. Kevin Hart was around the ankle, was around the, uh, the rib cage of The Rock. In the next picture, The Rock was beside Shaquille O'Neal. <laughs> the Rock was around the rib cage of Shaquille O'Neal. <laughs> In the next photo, Shaquille O'Neal was beside one Chinese guy and Shaquille O'Neal was around the rip. You know, matter what in this life, there's something more than you. So just relax yourself. There is something more than you. If you don't know that now, you, you are going to be, you're going to experience a rude awakening. Something is more than you. And this is the first thing one realizes when you begin to work with God. There is something more than you. Let this make you humble. So that you don't have anxiety rushing to get, if you, that anxiety that you're having to attain what this person has reached. By the time you get there, you see this person doesn't know anything. They don't know anything. Because there's always more. Always more. Always more. One of the angels that contributed to my spiritual education, I must confess, is of a very majestic and transcendental nature. I am not able to accurately express the vastness of his understanding. I am not able to articulately express. I can't. It is impossible. I can't. And every time I sit in front of him, I am floored. I am just floored by the level of understanding, of wisdom. It is impossible to describe. I can't describe it. I can't. Yet, even he spoke about beings that he himself has been in front of who likened his intelligence to that of an earthworm. That's the difference in knowledge between him and them. Are you getting what I'm saying? Do you get what I'm saying? Like an earthworm. He was like an earthworm. It's not an insult. It's just the way life is. There is something more than you. Something is more than you. So don't be in a rush. 
because there's something more than you. Enjoy where you are. Expand in it. Become proficient and master it. Don't be so quick. There is something more than you. And if you are here to gain one or two things so that you can feel big, God is waiting for you to floor you 100%. You know, there is something more than you. And if you have that heart of humility, wishing to learn and to grow for the sake of unfolding your potential, you will always attract to yourself people who are ready to lift you up. But if you have the intention of always wanting to be superior to other people, you will always attract people that want to pull you down. And this is an immutable principle. And there are some of us here who can testify that they've had things like in their life. You just find, you just go somewhere, all of a sudden, they just want to pull you down. They want to break your, your you just see that everything is hurting your pride, hurting your pride, hurting your pride. Yes! God is trying to help you because that pride is going to hinder you from moving forward. So he's going to surround you with people that will just come with knife and poke that pride. Poke it very well. Because he who lifts up himself will be pulled down. But the one who lays himself down will be lifted up. This is the way. This is the principle. This is the way God has designed the world. If you have, if you have an intention of wanting to sound smarter than people, wanting to make yourself look like, yeah, I'm the man. I tell you, sooner or later, God will bring someone or something into your life that will utterly embarrass and test that knowledge that you claim to have. And it's in that moment that you'll be made or you'll be broken. And if you're wise, in that time when you discover that which is more than you, you humble yourself. And you say, God, let me learn and let me increase. But if you say, oh, 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 man, I can't take this. That is where your spiritual journey will end. And you will not go past that until that particular pride in you is dissolved. Because that pride is like oil. And that dimension in heaven you want to touch is like water. It will never mix. Never. Let us be humble. It is tres important. I was about to speak Spanish. <laughs> I was going to say tres importante. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> you know. <laughs> you know. It is important. It is very important. It is very, very important that we allow the spirit of humility take root in our hearts. Pride always comes before it falls. Is the way it is. The one that shoots themselves up. Physically speaking, gravity is pulling you down. Is the way. It's the way. It's already done in nature. The one who wants to be up is the one who must go down. There's something more than you. There's something more than you. There's something more than you. Someone who has really started to attain a spiritual understanding and experience. Humility must come. It must come because you are going to meet things that are more than you. You realize, my God, my existence is very infinitesimal. Very minute. As big as our son is. Our son. Have you seen these sons out there? Stars, stars like stars like Musefi or or the 
Canaries Major XY, they are big sons out there. Beetlejuice, Sirius, they are our son is like a speck of dust compared to them. No matter, there is something more than you. <laughs> you know, there's something more than you. So to read the very last part of that scripture in Philippians, and this is verse 16. This is what Paul said, because remember he said, therefore, let us, as many as are mature, now recognize, even in all he's saying, he's telling that I've, I'm mature, I've reached a certain kind of maturity, although even though I've reached a certain kind of maturity, there's something more than me, right? So he said, therefore, let's let as many of us that are mature have this mind. That is the mind of forgetting whatever it is that you attained in God yesterday and pushing forward for what is more in him. Let as many of us that are mature have this mind. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal even this to you. Nevertheless, now look at this here. To the degree that we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule. Let us be of the seed very clearly. Are we able to see it? Huh? Are we able to see it? Yes, it's visible. Are we sleeping, people? What's going on? Wait, what are you talking about? Are you yeah. talking about the verse or something else? Well, we understand it. He said, nevertheless, to. Yeah, the verse I just read. Do you understand it now when I say that they agree to it? Yeah, yes. Wait. Yeah, huh? Yes. Huh? I don't understand. Do you know what, what did you say? I don't understand. I don't hear you properly. I'm posting again the scripture, okay? okay. Can you hear me now? I can hear you. Yes. Can you hear me now? Yes. Okay. 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 Awesome. Awesome. Okay. So I'm going to post the scripture again, right? But prior to now, everything I said you heard, yeah? Yes. 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 Okay. Awesome. 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 Okay. So I'm just going to repose that scripture once more so that I can repeat that last thing that I said. Are we, able to, are we able to see the scripture on the chat? Yeah, we can see it. Yes, we can. Can we see the scripture on the chat? Yes. Okay. Yes. Awesome. So the very, okay. The very last sentence that it says, nevertheless, okay, awesome. I think there might be a little lag, but no problem. So, so the very last verse says, nevertheless, to the degree that we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule. Let us be of the same mind, you know. And of course, this rule, this mind that he's speaking about is the mind that pushes away everything it learned yesterday 
and keeps room for that which it can learn tomorrow, you know. And he said, to the degree that we have already attained. So I was now asking, do we not understand when I say that there are degrees and levels in God, degrees of attainment? Do we understand that? Yeah. Yes. Awesome. Awesome. Fantastic. So before I move forward, do we have any thoughts, comments, questions on all that has been said? Okay, Fumi um, asked, can there ever be, can we ever attain this ideal? Hold. Okay. Mayor, hold on one second. So Fumi asked, can we ever attain this ideal? The answer is yes, but I'll say that greatness will always cost what it costs. Always. It is impossible to attain any kind of greatness whatsoever, whether you are great as an arm robber, you are great as a dancer, you are great as, as an accountant, you are great. Greatness will always cost what it costs. And only those who have reconciled within themselves to pay the price of greatness will attain it. So the, the, the answer to that question is, it depends on you. you know. Greatness will always cost what it, what it costs in every field of life. Always cost what it costs. And only those who are willing to pay the price for it will attain it. So it depends on every single one of us. You know? So, But for the fact that we saw Jesus Christ attain it, a man, it tells us that this is possible for all men. What one man can be, whether for good or for evil, every man can be. Because we're all created from the same fabric. So anything that is possible for one man, we must understand that it's possible for all men. So if there is a Christ inside of us, I want us to understand that there's also a Hitler in inside of every single one of us. It's only a matter of us doing the work to bring it out. Do you get what I'm saying? Hitler didn't appear overnight. Certain things happened in his life that produced that characteristic in him. Some of us here, you're all nice and sweet. If I throw you into Syria, in the midst of the war, you witness people execute your family members, they do, you turn to a monster, forget about it, it's not the two ways. Jesus Christ will be forgotten, except you have real resilience. You know, you know, for me, your question, put it publicly. I, I don't understand it. No, sir, put it publicly. Okay. So basically you said that Jesus Christ came to show us um, what we can be. And I said that, but that's yes. contrary to like what we've been taught to, because what we are usually taught is that you can't get to that level once you die and get to heaven. Do you get what I'm saying? Well, that statement is true. But the question is, what death are we speaking about and what heaven are we talking about? That's what we're presently dispelling now, that we think heaven is on unless you... Anyway, that's actually the next part we're going into. So God bless you. Don't worry, we're going there next. So okay. thank you for bringing that. You know, uh, yeah. That's the next segment. Okay. So let us tackle these four questions. So just these four people then, we would uh, move forward. So, Miriam. Hey, El. Okay, so... How are uh, you? I'm good. Am I? So uh, this past two days, I've been 
in my head, I've been going through these motions with using um sort of using Onyechi as a mirror. <laughs> like I've been going through these emotions with with Abba. <laughs> so she's been going through this entire, you know, freaking out over with there's no time. There's no time. Time is so short and there's so much to do and all of that, all of that. And every time I think of something to say, Abba's voice goes in my head like, you know you should be telling yourself that too. <laughs> because you are in this yeah. exact same position. <laughs> <laughs> so, I, so I actually used to, um, I would just calm down and study her and think of what I would say to her. I would say some things that I believe she needed to hear and then I would focus on the things I believe I needed to learn. But one of the things that, that really came to me was, you know, when, when Abba started to make it clear to me that you are so afraid that um, the time is too short for you to get to where you need to get to in me, blah, blah, blah. And you forget that all you have is time. Because your time, the time is going and it's all you have. And once it ends, it ends. So while you're busy worrying about whether or not the time is enough, it is going anyways. And all you have is time. And when the time ends you, and you and you cross the, the, the path, sorry, the line into eternity, you are still going to be learning. You're still going to be attaining fullness. And I, 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 just, I just stayed in that because I had gotten this, you know, this deadline in my head, like bring, bring. If I don't, if I don't get to this particular point by this particular time, I won't be able to meet up to this and that and that and that. But let me put that one by the side because one other interesting thing that I learned in this past week was I was going over Bible study with a friend and he went and asked me this question. I realized last week, every time I say I don't know, I don't know anything. I don't realize how much I don't know. Last week, I came to another level of I don't know nothing. There's no shishi in my head. Because <laughs> a friend came through and he asked me, Mariam, what was the fall? And I, I, I had nothing to say. I didn't, I didn't know what the fall was. But, you know, through asking the right questions, which is one thing I'm going to tell everybody here today, value the people that ask you the right questions. Sometimes the answers are not meant to be heard from other people. Sometimes you're meant to hear questions from them and the answers come from inside you. So he, he kept asking me and eventually I was able to figure out, oh, the fall was, you know, that, that entire thing you said in the podcast I heard after. Like the fall was when Ad, like Adam did the thing that made him incompatible with the with the you know environment of Eden and all of that, and he said something that really just blew my mind. He was like, "Okay, so the fall made Adam incompatible with being like with being in Eden. Do you know why? Because he was programmed a certain way to act a certain way and be a certain person." He wasn't supposed to be by himself. He was supposed to be an ex, an, 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 a, like a vessel for God, a containment, a container of an expression of God. Or, well, God, I don't want to use an expression because it sounds like copy. But basically, he was supposed to be God. And the fall was, the, was him accepting to be animated outside of God. It was like he had this programming and then he accepted a malware, a virus, and he began to function through a back door instead of through the front door that, like it was created to. Exactly, um, on a lower standard. And, and it, it, was, it was, you know, I started to really ponder on that and realize that, you know, 
all of us are still trying to get back to that original programming. That's what we strive for. That's what we call fullness. The point where we have lost the, the point where we lose the animation to ourselves, to live for ourselves, and we become what we were originally designed to be, God. Yes. Um, yeah, okay. I was going to ask you to correct me if I'm wrong. And then you said something again that, that it felt like, all these things felt like somebody was carrying pebbles and stoning my spiritual eye. <laughs> he said, you know, after everything, after, like, none of us are even, like what you just said, none of us are even up to the level of Paul, Moses, and all of them. And at best, they were just partnering with God. And my brain just did. Because <laughs> after... It already blows my mind that um, the, what the, one of the best apostles was not even somebody that met Jesus physically. After all the people that, you know, that knew, that knew him, that ate with him and dined with him. So somebody that was per- actively persecuting him. And he's still like one of the greatest references to Christ that we can name till this day. And even he, like... Came the closest to came was to partner with God, and I realized that you know when I heard you know when we're talking about the the, the words. I'll say choice of words are very important because when we sure. talk about partner with God, it it speaks of a realm of. When you say someone is your partner, they have equal share in your company. You understand? So yes, but then the I'm word going partner. To I'm just trying to say the word partner doesn't best communicate what you're saying. Do you get what I'm saying? Yes. Okay. Yes, it okay. doesn't. It does not. Because partner, when you're partnering with somebody, like you just said, they have equal share in your company. But the Lord was not trying to... That means you all have 50-50, yeah? But the Lord was not trying to give us 50-50. He was trying to give us everything. So, like... No, that's what I'm saying. No, a partner has... It, when you say a partner has equal stake, do you understand? Equal because stake is not... Best. Yes. Oh, on me. Hold on. Okay. Said okay. at best they were partnering mm-hmm. with God, but partnering with God is the best thing. Do you understand? That's where we're getting to. That's the point we want to get to. Where the best we thing. and God co-laborers. Co means we're on the same place with equal stake. Do you understand? Mm-hmm. Do you get what I'm saying? I'm not saying for the sake of communication. I understand your idea, but the word might not properly pass across what you're trying to say. Makes sense. Yeah, I think I see where you are going. I shall come back to that when I have a better question to phrase phrase that. Now, the last thing I'm no going problem. to speak about is, um, you know, oh, oh, we're talking about it. Oh yeah, when we we're talking about, you know, being, you know, humble and coming to the place where you realize that you don't know anything. I, one thing I've, I've, I've really learned and seen is that when you, you start to get to that point, things that you, you, that you exalted and thought were so much wisdom begin to look so foolish, so commonplace, so basic. So not that, you, not that you now start to ridicule what you once thought was wisdom, but it no longer holds over you that, that sway, that fascination that made you feel like you have you have access to something no one else does. And the things that seemed like simple truths that seemed so foolish, like every like babies should know this, start to really gather meaning to you. 
it is when you can listen to a five-year-old speak and you realize that what is coming out of the mouth of this child is pure truth. It is when you can listen to somebody that you once argued with, that you once thought was you know, very, very foolish. You can hear an atheist, somebody that will bash your religion talk, and you realize that yes. this person is onto something. So like, uh, I would yes, say we're, we're like in a progressive state of getting to that place where you realize that to know is to know you don't know. Yes, yes. So yeah, um, yes. and it's, it's one of the biggest reasons I'm grateful for Heaven's okay. Gates. Well, okay, I'm almost done. It's one of the biggest reasons I'm grateful for Heaven's Gates because there's no place that slaps me in my face so I don't know that like this. <laughs> And thank you. <laughs> yeah, I'm done. You're welcome. God bless you. God bless you. Okay, Tifti. Um, thank you. I think for me, there are sometimes uh, this all feels like a lot, but I just realized that um, your heart, pop, uh, your heart posture matters, right? Or in terms of how you receive, because I'm just really thinking about a lot of things. Um, you know, like when you said something like, um, who, you know, if we look at recent um, leaders, pillars, leaders in the church, maybe, I don't know, maybe in our climate environment, you know, who, who, who can you even compare to a Moses? And, you know, all these greats that we read about in scripture, you know, we were, were quiet, you know, and I'm just thinking to myself, is it that, is it that the church was, has been retrogressing for a bit because it now begins to sound like we've been sitting on, uh, <laughs> we've been sitting on some doctrines for a bit, right? Um, you know, because this was this just extracting the scripture and looking at it and listening to, to it as we were reading it, I just like, so how did we stop? Um, it's so true leaving what we already know that we've been basking in, you know, and highfalutin and swimming in all these things. And, you know, you have, uh, you know, this great apostle saying, I left, I left those things and I keep pressing. Like we just, did the church stop pressing? I don't know. There's just a lot of things going through my mind and I'm just wondering if this is, if this is how we're kicking the things off. <laughs> They'll shock up the future and the group. I. I just, I don't think my mind cannot contain it yet, but, you know, I'm just wondering, just in the context of church, you know, um, as we have known it, what happened? I don't know. I'm not sure I can articulate what I'm trying to say, but I just, I just thought that, you know, something is off somewhere, you know, and, uh, and you know, you emphasize the need to unlearn, you know, and, um, and, I, and I like that you said that it depends on each person, right? Um, and, 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 and how much God can, how much capacity your container has really depends on each person. Um, and, and if it's just that I hold on to, you know, that's enough, you know, in terms of my pursuit, you know, God working with my hunger and my pursuit, you know, but it just struck me that, you know, what is it we've been retrogressing in church, you know, being just embracing this revelation and doctrine, we've just been sitting on it, that's, that's it. You know, and there was no desire to press, um, you know, and extend the expressions of the heavens like you're teaching. Yeah, so this was on my mind, really. 
No, it's absolutely splendid, everything that you've said, you know, and this, this is, it is very true of the time that we're in. There's really, there's really, there has been a retrogression, stagnation, there has been all, it's, there has not been growth. Mainstream-wise, there has not been growth, you know. It has been a decline, a decline, a decline. Because a lot of people have made castles upon a dimension of God that they experienced. And not least, Paul, remember Paul said, he said, be of this same mind and be of this same rule. And what was that rule? Forget about whatever you experienced that last year. Forget about 10 people raised from the dead. For, I listen to a lot of people speaking today. And honestly, when I hear them talking, if I'll be sincere, a lot of ministers I've listened to today, a lot of prominent ministers, I won't call any, any names, they speak as though the glory was yesterday. You see them on the pulpit talking about, ah, in that 2002, I did this. I, I be, can you guys get what I'm saying? Yes, exactly. Yes, there's so. a lot of that. Yeah, there's a lot of that today. And it's as if the glory was yesterday. And, I see, and that's why we have a generation where old people are saying, I am 70 years young. I don't, for the life of me, understand why someone who has experienced seven decades on this planet will still be identifying themselves with a 25-year-old? Don't they know the value of their gray hair? Why can't you understand that at 70, your value is not in your ability to run 100 meters, but for you to inspire a people to run a mile? That there's a difference. And when you do not know the value of where you are, you will be competing for, with people for their station. You can never, at 70, you can never have run a 25-year-old. And as Albert Einstein said, if a fish measures his intelligence by his ability to fly, it will spend his whole life thinking he's a fool. We have a lot of 70-year-olds who think they are foolish simply because they cannot do what 25-year-olds are doing. Are you 25? You're not 25. You're not. At 50, 60, you have a different value. And you have to understand that place of value and stay there. You can't run. But you have experience and knowledge and wisdom that will enable a lot of people to run. Do you guys get what I'm saying? You know? Yeah. And that is what happens. You know, with a lot of people, they think the glory was there and now has nothing. But it's wrong. There is always something of value now and we have to know it. When we don't know what is valuable about us now, that's when we spend time competing with people, envying them. Oh, I can do this better. Oh, this one is not my level. All these foolish things. Do you see the ants competing with the cockroach for their work in the forest? Do you understand? They don't compete because they have... It's, oof, sorry. Oof, too much energy. My mouth can't catch up with the energy coming out. You're out of good. You're out of good. I feel you. I feel you. <laughs> You know what I'm saying? You can drink water. You can drink water. No problem. <laughs> you don't see the ants fighting with the cockroach for their roles. They have different roles. Different roles and both are equally important. Paul's role is important. Apollo's role is important. That's like they say, they're your lane. Everybody does the, everybody made they just did their lane. If you know Sabi, your lane, you will never have joy in your life. You're supposed to know your lane and they there. Day or day. 
You know what I'm saying? So at 70 years old, that's why you see 70 years old putting plastic surgery. At 70, your beauty is not in your face, but it's in the quality of what is within you. And it's such an appalling thing to find someone that is 70 years old, but their insides are as though they are 16. That contradiction is so much that it breaks the mind. For you to be advising a 70-year-old and correcting them is painful. The contradiction is too much. It's painful. And I know some of us have been there before. It's a painful thing. It's painful. I say, how can you be 70 and you're still talking like this? <laughs> what did you learn in your lifetime? This is the time to begin to learn that thing in this lifetime. So that when we get there, we don't find ourselves in that place where we believe that the only great thing that has happened is that which is in the past. This cannot be so. There is something valuable and important about now. I spoke once, a few months ago, in this meeting like this, how I was sitting down with an angel and I was discussing with him and he asked me, what do you want? I said, look, 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 I want to be able to do some miracles and make people's hands. I told him, this is what I want. And he laughed. He said, don't waste my audience. Why are you trying to grab onto our parlor tricks? He called it parlor tricks. That this is what we do to make the children excited so that we cannot introduce them to the real meat, which is the transformation of the heart. But yet you want to collect those parlor tricks. Do you have understanding? That's what he said to me. I was weak. I was weak. I was weak. Do you get what I'm saying? He called it parlor tricks. I had nothing to say. Nothing. That's like Jesus Christ. When people were hungry, he said, ah, if I don't give these people bread in their mouths, they won't hear me. So, oh yeah, bring 12 baskets. Let us, do you understand? Go and bring bread and fish. Let's, because if they don't eat this physical food, they will not be here. They will not understand the value of this. So let's just give this to them as incentive. And incentive has different representation. Okay, come, your hand is, not, your hand is broken. I'll be like, come, let me heal it for you. So you have incentive to listen to me to collect the real healing. Because we think healing is about when your hand grows out. Won't that person still die again? Of what value if I heal your body of cancer, but your heart is still rotting for resentment for your mother? Of what value is that healing? It's useless. It's useless. It's useless. Do you understand? It's useless. So a lot of things that a lot of things that the church is even putting pride in, these are actually very, whoo, very trivial things. I'll tell you about Eastern story, and I'm not afraid to say it because it's the truth. It's an Eastern story, and of course, like if it's an Eastern story, it's going to have Eastern representatives and things like that. So there was a young man in Tibet who was um, a monk, so to speak. And he did a lot of austerities, a lot of disciplines, a lot of practices that allowed him to develop certain capabilities within himself, you know. And one day he came in contact with the Buddha. And like I've said before, the Buddha is not a person. The word Buddha means to be enlightened, to be awake, to be conscious. It speaks about a state of being that a person can attain. 
And anyone who attains that state of being is called Buddha. It's not a particular person. It is a particular nature. It is a particular essence. So this monk came in contact with the Buddha. And of course, we're talking about someone who is awakened, who has an understanding of God and things of that nature. And the Buddha asked him, what have you been doing with your life? And he said, oh, I've done this and I've done that. And I spent 25 years doing a lot of work. And he said to him, 25 years? What did you attain in 25 years? He said, I'm able to walk upon this water and I can cross over this lake physically and I'll reach the other end. The Buddha was shocked. He said, you mean you spent 25 years to do what that little boat can help you to do? You have wasted your life. You should have used that thing to dissolve your pride. You should have used that time to dissolve your anger. That 25 years would have had more value. You've wasted your life. Are we getting this? I don't care where, even if that story is a lie or even if it didn't exist, that is the truth. Do you understand? So I'm not afraid to bring anything from, I can't because I, I've seen the truth in that story and I know it's true. Whether it happened or not, it's not my problem. That is the truth about the world today. Many people are spending a lot of time for things that are very insignificant. And of course, like I said, I'm also part of them because I went and I said to him, I said, I want to do this. And he laughed. He said, can you come and ask for this? You're wasting the audience that has been given up to you. We need to understand what is of value in the kingdom. We need to know what is really valuable. The things that are true and lasting. You know. It's because we're in this part of the world where there's very little spiritual understanding. A lot of these things you're seeing in the Bible when you go to the east, these are normal stories. Walking on water, making limbs grow back. It, these things happen there. It's not strange. It's so much not strange that the people there think of someone who is awakened, enlightened, who has wisdom. It's not even the mark. It's not that you can disappear from here to here. It's not the mark of anything. That you can sit down, meditate for... 10, 10 days without moving. It's not even, it's not, it's, not, it's not something that is regarded as anything. They don't consider these things as valuable. If your heart hasn't been transformed, that your life seeks in every way it can to bless and uplift another person's life, you're asleep. So you must understand when they say Buddha, the definition of a Buddha is someone who has realized the value of my, my life is only of value when it can help to bring value to another person. That is the meaning of what is called Buddha. It does not matter what it is that you might be doing. If your life can do this, your life is of no consequence. Whether you can disappear, whether you can make one, one plate of rice turn to 10, all these things are tricks. Because they know you don't have an understanding of all these things and they know you'll be excited when they do it. So they'll just do it to excite you. Oh my God! Oh! This is a miracle! Oh! This must be Jesus Christ! So when you now get to that level of excitement, when they know you will listen to anything that they say, they now say, okay, my child, that your sister that you are fighting with in the afternoon, you go and cook that food for her today. Then that your, high, that your highness will come down. <laughs> you'll be very mellow, <laughs> you know? 
<laughs> and that was the point of all those theatrics of turning water to wine, of making your limb grow out, of clearing your cancer. The point was to get you to the real healing, which is the transformation within. If it's not there, you have nothing. It doesn't matter what you are doing. That's why you have many people who are men of God performing all kinds of miracles. But yet, when you come in contact with them, their character smells of death. And that smell extends throughout the entire congregation. You just smell death there. And people are entering there and they're dying. But yet, you see miracles happen. It needs to happen because they know the science. Everything in life has science. I'm telling you the truth. Oh, everything that Jesus Christ did is he, he does, it just happens to be that he came to an understanding of certain laws that you don't know. Everything has laws, even the healing, there are laws to it. He understands those laws and he can use it. So for him, it's normal. But to you who don't understand that with this uh, box here, you can talk to someone in China. If you see someone do that, oh my God, miracle, 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 miracle. But to him, that's his reality. And you who is not your reality, he will excite you with it. But thank God, his excitement is to better your life, not to, not to manipulate you and make you do bad things. But it's the same principle. They are playing with you. It's just so, okay, this one is a baby boy. Okay, this one, okay, let me just sign, sign their eyes, sign, sign. And they will not listen to my teaching. They will be better people. That's why they do all these miracles. That's why you see people who have really reached a person, they don't, even, they don't do those things. First of all, it is very expensive. It is very expensive to stand day after day doing those things. Ah! It's expensive. It's expensive. It will take your energy. It will take your life. It will dry you. That's why when you see someone who day after day, year after year, they are doing this kind of miraculous work, you know that that person has a massive well in themselves. It is expensive expensive. I know what I'm talking about. That's why, for example, you see, for example, if you look at all these people in the East, for example, the Eastern teachers, whatever, when they're talking, you see they sit down still, they don't bring out any emotions, they just talk quietly and calmly. Yeah, because they don't want to waste their energy on you. <laughs> we don't know these things. You just think they're just whispering for nothing. <laughs> that energy, they rather use it to fight their own anger in their house. Because by the time you spend all your energy trying to motivate a crowd that after they'll come and abuse you, you will still be dealing with anger and lost in your house. Over here, you see yourself. <laughs> oh my. That's why there's some people who really, they don't even bother teaching anyone, you know, they don't. They don't. They would just want to devote all their energy to themselves and work on themselves. Because for you to say you want to help someone, you must understand it is at the expense of your own personal growth and development. This is something that is factual. You must come down for another person to be lifted up. This is the principle of life. Some people don't want to sacrifice themselves like that. That's up to them. It's, but there's no how, it's all, it's, it must cost you. That's life. For, for your parents who have lifted you up this far, they sacrifice their ability to buy certain cars, they sacrifice the ability to buy certain clothes. They, sac they sacrifice a lot of things. To have put us through school is a sacrifice. You can't lift someone up without you going down. It's not possible. This is just the way it is. You know? So all these people who day after day doing all this is expensive. And that's why 
they have to know the time when to retreat and recuperate to charge themselves to enable them to continue moving because it's expensive. And a lot of this energy that they're using to heal someone's broken arm, all this stuff, if they devote it to trying to destroy a particular element of anger in themselves, they will change. So people have different the theologies. I've met some teachers who they won't help you with anything. All they'll do is they know how to create a particular energetic atmosphere around them. That once you enter the atmosphere, that energy will help you already. So once you don't enter that place, you don't see that your spiritual sense, everything just open up. That's just that, that's all they give to you. They're not going to the mentorship, forget it. They will not going to do that. Forget about it. They, they, they forget about it. It's up to them. It's not, it's not by force. It's in that in that realm of there's a realm of attainment where you have a choice to either completely sacrifice yourself to humanity or just go. It's up to you. You know, so it's up to you. You know, for example, in the East, people who resolve themselves to completely exhausting their being to save humanity, they call them bodhisattva. That is one who has said, I will not rest until every human being has woken up. That is what is defined as a Buddha. Not all this nonsense we see on TV. Look, we need to go and do our understanding of stuff. So that we know what is what life is about and understand certain things, you know. But we're not going into any of that today. So, how do you even get to this point? My goodness. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> you know. <laughs> so we got here when someone talked about. Um, the church was repressing, and then it just man that did 25 years. And mm -hmm. ah, uh -huh. led me on this standard. God bless you, <laughs> you know. So, um, you know, um, um, sorry, it's come back to me one second. Um, yes, yeah, so people put focus on a lot of things that are really basic, exactly, Jim. Okay. Jesus was always retreating to refill. Everything must retreat and eat. Everything must rest so that you can do work. It's just the principle of life. For there to be work, there must be rest. For there to be life, there must be death. That's why when people die, they say rest in peace. It is a rest. Life is not meant to be continuous. It's not meant to be like that. There has to be rest. A pause has to happen before a new continuation can begin. So to be indefinite is, is, is not, life loses its flavor, you know? There has to be a pause. Well, like I said, we're going to talk about hell later on. You know, it's something that needs to be revisited properly. I don't want us to talk about it haphazardly and leave people in limbo. I want us to engage it well and open a lot of script, scriptures and things like that, you know, so we'll get there. <laughs> Sorry. So a lot of things that the church is putting so much attention on are things that are really basic. You know, very basic things. And that's why, even though it's basic, it's a place of importance, right? Everything has a place of importance. Having an elaborate structure, there's a place of importance there. When there's a building that is very majestic and grand and opulent and this, it brings out certain qualities in the person that enables them to in a sense, 
receive the message that is coming. It's when you enter a place that is beautiful, comfortable. If you are not angry, it's so much easier to listen to a message. Now, but when you're uncomfortable, you're sweating. So there's a place for that. The problem is when they begin to put it in a place that is not meant to be, and they begin to lift it above other things. That's when there's a problem. Because in truth, in life, yes, there's a place for a car. But if there are certain things that are not yet in place, my brother, why are you buying a car? Do you get my point? Yeah. Do you get my yeah. point? Yeah. Uh-huh. So for everything, there's a place. But if certain things are not in place, there are certain things that you should not be making the focus. It's just like you're cooking food. Why are you killing yourself on aesthetics when you have not yet gotten the taste? So I have food that is very nice in my eye, but I put it in my mouth, I want to go and fight the chef. Of what value is that aesthetics? So aesthetics is not bad, but aesthetics only has value when the base has been established. Only if there has not been an established base, base aesthetics, is, aesthetics is useless. But aesthetics has point. When you look at the ostrich, that's aesthetics. You look at the pickup, it's aesthetics. You look at the humpback whale, aesthetics. But before you see that big humpback whale, you go deep in the roots, you find the basic micro, microbiological aspect of that being that you can see has received just as much as attention from God as the big external part. Before you think of aesthetics, make sure you have the base ready. That's only when it has value. Many people don't have base. They are fighting themselves for aesthetics. You have not learned how to manage 50 people and you're asking God to give you 10,000. Do you have understanding in life? Have you even paused to think? There's a saying that goes, more money, more problems. Of course, every ascent comes with its own level of descent. Every heaven has its own inverse hell. 10,000 people bring 10,000 problems. <laughs> oh. Do you know what I'm saying? If you don't deal with the problem of 100, my brother and my sister, why are you looking for 10,000? Are you kidding me? <laughs> you know? So this is the reality that we have to start to think about. What is the most important thing now? We need to ask God that. And we need to do it. Because that's what's important now. Before we start running off with the stakes. You know? That my churches today, all of them, aesthetics, 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 aesthetics. Have you first of all gotten the base? That's why you enter a structure that looks as elaborate as if you are in some, who knows, in some royal auditorium. But you spend three months in that place and you die. You say, my God, I will never visit this place again. There are many places like that, you know. And it's because of those kind of places that people look at aesthetics as evil. It's not evil, but it's useless if certain things are not first put in place. How can you run when you have a first crowd? You can't do life like that, you know. Anyway, this has been a real of tangents. I'm just this is just based on what if he said about how the church has you know regressed. Yeah, because they've started to focus on the wrong things, you know. Even the Protestant church who came as a result of the extremism of the Catholic Church. They now thought the whole point is to not have anything in life and to just, that's also, it's not the point. It's not about having opulence. It's also not about having complete poverty. It's about the mindset and will of God 
being established from you from time to time. You have to know how to live a base. You have to know how to live about. It is to have dominion over every aspect of life. That is the point. So, of course, when the Catholics misunderstood, because, of course, the reason why, like I said before, why the Catholics came with their very beautiful structures is because in that time, people associated God with poverty, and God needed to change that mindset. So he started to inspire a lot of people to build elaborate things that the moment you just enter into the structure, you see this mag- you already start speaking in tongues. You know, it was to bring them out of the mindset that God is also rich. But first, is a wealth, spiritual, before physical. And the Catholics enjoyed that wealth and they now thought that wealth was the point. That's why God now had to bring the opposite and show them there's also God in poverty. And that's why the Protestants had to come out of the Catholic Church. Now, the Protestants also made the same mistake by thinking it was about that. And they missed it too. Same with Deeper Life today. They also missed it because they think it's about that. The Deeper Life came into existence because of how Nigeria was going. They thought it's all because, you know, that's when we just ex- experienced our independence. So we started having money for the first time, owning our things. Everyone's getting money. So it was necessary that the Deeper Life were bo- was born at that time to pull us back to that humility, humbleness, and poverty. But people now made a god out of poverty. And that's why that place is, anyway, God, I'm sorry. I'm not speaking about people. Just, I'm just, I'm just um, you know, I'm just trying to create a kind of case study, you know. I'm not, <laughs> yes, I was just, no, see, it's not funny. I was being careful so that I don't go into slander. And it's something we have to be careful about. You know, and this is something we should all learn from. I was about to enter into slander, and that was wrong. But I'm, I'm supposed to be able to give a case study of things, you know. You know, um, it's about balance, you know. Balance, balance, balance. And when people idolize poverty, no extreme end of life is good. And if you move to one extreme, you soon realize that this place doesn't have everything you want. But if you have realized that this place doesn't have everything you want, but everyone around you starts to tell you, you must be poor, you must be poor, what will happen is that you will start to envy people who have money, who have nice clothes, who have a nice house, because you can't have what they have, but you desire it, that your desire now crystallizes into a deep hatred. And now when you see anyone wearing clothes that you wish you can buy, but can't buy because of your community, you say, look at this one. You are going to hell. Ah, look at you, useless man. See you. And you find people like that. Just study, look around. There are many like that. Do you understand? Same with wealth. So people also idolize wealth, you know? They envy the freedom of poor people. They see how you can laugh and sit down with anyhow. You can live with slippers and go. They envy your freedom because in their world, they can, there's some things they can't say. So they envy you. Now, in their envying you, for example, you can be in a room. You actually feel like this conversation is crap and you say it's crap. They say, my God, look at you. You're so un, un, uncultured. Oh, my God, you're uncouth. But secretly, they wish they had that courage to speak their mind. Do you get my point? They are envious of even the poor. The rich are envious of the poor. I'm telling you, because the poor have a freedom that they don't have. Same thing, vice versa. The rich have a freedom that the poor don't have, and the poor have a freedom that the rich don't have. 
And when you think life is on one extreme end, you will just be angry with life. And that anger will turn itself into envy. It's just a mess. Life can never be complete on one extreme end. There must be balance. 